folks, I just get a little smile on my face every time I hear that tune because it means it's time for another episode of the Rec Poker Podcast. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, how lucky are we? I know I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I get to hang out here every week and talk to my poker friends about this amazing game that we all love so much. My name's Jim Reed. I'll be your host tonight. I go by Bluffsterini in the home game and at Rec Poker Jim on Twitter. And if you want to find out more about me, uh, you can go to rec.poker slash crew and you can learn about everyone on the Wrecking Crew. The Wrecking Crew is kind of our core team of members uh, who put together our premium training material, who come on the podcast, who uh, do a lot of the legwork for the study groups and our um, strategy videos and that kind of stuff. And we love uh, just sharing our love of poker with the world. So yeah, go to rec.poker slash crew and you can learn more about them or you can just listen up because you're going to meet a few of them right now. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5B5 on Twitter or 5 by 5 in the Poker Stars home game. And I am John Somsky. I am Poker Geek MN everywhere. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabban 50, just about everywhere. <laughs> and uh, it, the Wrecking Crew, like I say, they're our core team. Um, they've got a passion for poker like you wouldn't believe. Um, a lot of what we do here is free. It's a mostly volunteer organization. It's free to join. Uh, if you have an email address and a smile, you just need to go to www.rec.poker and sign up for a free account. Um but you can go premium, and we love it when our premium members come and join us in the chat uh, as we're talking about different concepts and poker strategy, and the premium membership makes a big difference. We honestly couldn't do what we do here without uh, our premium members chipping in their $15 a month. So it's my pleasure to welcome John Crowell back to the show. Uh, John, thanks for coming back on. And where can people recognize your name if they see you in the Rec Poker Home Games? Um, seven high 11 in the, in the home game and I'm a Luddite, so I'm nothing else anywhere else. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. And if you see seven high 11 posting in the forums, that's another place to catch some of this great, uh, gentleman's brain. We love cracking it open and talking poker, uh, with John and other premium members here on the rec poker podcast. This is the forums edition. So instead of talking to a guest, we're going to be breaking into, uh, one of the hands or one of the posts from our forums again, free to join. I encourage everyone to come and check it out. Uh, This is from John himself, the one and only 7 High 11. And the name of this forum post is Opening Ranges Against Multiple Limpers. So there's a great post in here. Um, We've got some good responses. It's a long one. There's a lot of juicy information to get into. But John, since you're here, why don't you just tell us a little bit about sort of what caused you to put this post out there? You're you're playing. and you're playing in a game where you tend to face a lot of limps. And so you're kind of struggling with what hands to choose to raise over limpers with, what hands to call with, what sizings to use. Kind of paint a picture for uh, the questions you were trying to, to get answers for when you wrote this. Yep. Well, I, I think I've memorized my opening ranges fairly well. But those GTO charts are, are basically based on when everybody folds to you. Yes. Or maybe when there's one limper. And I understand the concept of if you've got a limper in front of you, you would change your open raise. Uh, Most people add one X for the limper. Um, But I play in games where there are more unstudied people and I'm getting lots of limps 
Um, either I'm in late position and four people will have limped in front of me, or even if I'm um, in third position, I get two limps in front of me, I make a raise, and then I get four callers all around the table. Um, and generally, I'm going to get outflopped unless unless I have raised a premium hand. Um, and the GTO ranges are designed to be a little bit wider than a premium hand. Definitely. So I'm going into these, and um, I just get myself into these circumstances where I end up having to fold a lot after having open raised. And it just seems that I'm bleeding away chips on these open raises. Um, and I just haven't been able to find the right uh, equation to know how to get rid of so many of these limpers. Mm. And my real question was, should I be changing my range? Um, should I be tightening it, tightening it up? Should I be changing my bet size? Should I be... Um, playing more suited connectors in less um, low Broadway cards, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just sort of looking for a formula that, that helps me refine my opening ranges. Yeah. We, I mean, we all like having rules to follow, right? Like that helps when it comes to this kind of stuff, just general rules of thumb. Um, and so uh, I think we'll talk a bit about uh, the cash games that, that that you're playing in at first. I know Chris Jones wants to talk also about sort of some of the tournament ramifications as well, because we talk a lot about tournaments um, here at Rec Poker, but it, it is uh, a similar game, but a slightly different game as well. Your incentives are different and uh, your action should be different. So um, first of all, John, you are not alone, my friend. I think a lot of people struggle with this as well they're playing in games with less experienced players who are limping a lot um you're getting to it's hard to get heads up you know you're you're playing a lot of pots multi-way and anytime you're playing a lot of pots multi-way the strength of your hand really matters a lot more than heads up you just don't get a chance to take the pot away nearly as often facing three or four opponents as you do facing one opponent one one opponent is going to miss the flop a lot um, if you've got three or four other people in the hand, one of them is going to interact with that board hard enough that you're not going to be able to bluff them off as easily. So you end up going to showdown more, and that does have some ramifications for um, what we should be doing pre-flop in that spot. So I'll just say the, the general rules that I, I generally think about, I mean, A, it kind of depends on who are the limpers. Are these people who limp and fold? Are they players who limp and call? Are they players who limp and re-raise? Uh, and if so, is it in a balanced fashion? You might change the range of hands that you choose to raise over limpers, depending on what kind of player they are. But let's talk mostly about players that limp and call. Players that, And this is most limpers. Most most players that limp are, are wide, passive players. They're playing wide, weak ranges, playing them passively. And just because they've limped, they've already kind of told you, hey, I want to see a flop and, I, and I'm and i not the raising kind. So uh, a lot of limpers are people that limp and then call raises. Um, so when that's the case, as we said at the top, you're going to end up going multi-way a lot. 
So when it comes to the range of hands that you might choose to raise over limpers, I think it does make sense to tighten that up a bit to eliminate some of the worst hands that you would have in your opening raise and just fold those instead uh, to call with some of the other ones and then to raise over limpers with a, a, a stronger range than you would open raise from that position. Um, and then and then it just comes down to sizing. We've talked about this before. Uh, some players, you can, the, the general rule that we talk about in tournaments is, you know, four big blinds plus one for every limper is a way to kind of have a general rule for it. But I think in cash games and particularly in cash in live cash games, that sizing isn't going to do it. You're going to have to size it right up and maybe even get into some uncomfortable sizes. Uh, and that might also affect the range of hands that you choose to make that play with. Um, so I guess that's kind of my general thinking. I, I do raise over limpers with a slightly tighter range to a larger sizing. And um, and then you just have to play poker post-flop. But the, the key is to find the pain point for that table to find the threshold where the number of big blinds where you don't get four or five callers um, after, after you raise. And that, that really changes from table to table. Um, some tables, let's just say you're playing one three. So someone limps for $3. If you make it 15, uh, maybe you'll get a couple folds and, and you'll end up heads up or with one other player. Some other tables, it's going to have to be 20 or, or 25. I mean, I've been on some tables where, you can basically, they want to see a flop. They came here to see flops. And once you're raising that big, you really, if you're not going to get folds, you really do have to have a pretty strong hand because now you're playing an, uh, an inflated pot. Hopefully you're in position, but I mean, you definitely have range advantage. You can play it. You can outplay them all, uh, on a lot of boards if you do get heads up, but maybe I'm getting ahead of, of myself a little bit here. Chris, you had some really good responses. Uh, right off the top of this one, um, why don't you sort of take us through what are you considering when you're facing multiple limpers, and and is your well, what is your goal? Is your goal to get it heads up, or is your goal to get multi way with a big pot, or what are you trying to do when you see people limping in front of you? I think we want to. So, like the way I start thinking about this is um, the first thing I like to, and I, th- I think you kind of explored this, but really get at the limping mindset or what is the limping incentive and the limping player just wants to see a flop and they want to see it as cheap as they possibly can. I mean, that's, that's what they want. Right. And I think then our approach is really about looking at our entire range and diverging it into sort of uh, three categories of hands. Like if it just folded to us, we'd have, okay, we know our ranges, right? Now we're going to take that range and we're going to divide our, our, our range up into three categories. The kind that I'm just going to fold because uh, that I would otherwise open because with limpers in front of me, I'm just going to get into trouble with this and it's not worth it. And then there's the kind where we can over limp, right? Where, We've got these, and I think these are the ones that we tend to think of as sort of the speculative type hands that play really well multi-way. So your uh, five, six of hearts, your uh, pocket threes, your, uh, you know, these hands where 
we're going to get post-flop and we know what's happening. And these are the ones that we can just say, okay, we're going to go five way with this. And if I don't flop a three, if I don't get a set of threes on this, I'm out, I'm done. Um, And, you know, so those are pretty easy to play post-flop and we're not going to lose a lot with them that way. And then the other ones, I think we are going to want to, as you kind of described is just, and in a cash game, uh, I will go very big with my strong sort of linear holdings uh, until I can get to a point. I am not trying to get everybody to fold, but if I keep getting, like if I, if I raise in your example, right. If I raise it to, to uh, it's a, it's a one, three game. I raise it to 15 and I get five callers. Okay. The next time I'm going to 25. And, and if I still get five callers now I'm, I'm narrowing the range, the value range with which I'm doing this. I'm not going to do it. I need to have really strong holdings, but now I'm going to big, 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 big until I can see the point at which I can get heads up or everybody folds and that's fine. Okay. So, and I did it with a really strong holding that stinks, but like we, we can only play effectively. It's really hard to play multi-way. And we want to find the point where these players are going to have the, that's kind of too rich for my blood and kind of try to find that pain point. So those are the kind of the place I'd start with. I'd be curious to hear what others think too. I have a totally different way of looking at it. Tell you the truth, Chris. (laughs) So let's, let's talk about how I might do it. Um, First of all, you talked about changing your range um, and having three different, parts of your range. I think really the only thing I would do differently is I don't actually remove any cards from my range. Um, I may limp some hands, like you mentioned, um, some small suited connectors, small pairs, that sort of thing, just to over limp. Uh, But my range is probably going to stay pretty much the same as it would if it had folded to me. And if I'm going to raise, and I'm just going to raise my normal raise size plus one big blind for every limper. And if I get five callers, so be it. I'm going to go to a flop and I'm going to feel, I think I'm going to feel a little bit more confident about my ability to play post-flop than they are. Understanding the kinds of ranges that they have and understanding that most players at limp are looking to hit a flop. And if they hit a flop, they're going to get aggressive. That's when you're going to hear from them. If they don't hit a flop hard, they're not going to be very aggressive. And then if you happen to get one of those hands, like an overpair, a top pair, top kicker type hand, you can probably get some value from those hands. And again, unless you hear something from them, chances are you're going to be ahead of them. But at the same time, when you've got multiple limpers, you definitely have to be careful post-flop. And that's just the way I play it. I don't try to get, I don't, I'm not trying to bet big enough to get a whole bunch of people to fold. I just don't, I just, you know, there's a lot of hands you can do that with, but I just don't feel very comfortable doing that. I would rather just play my regular game and just try to understand where those people are coming from. Now I've played with people that limp, they'll limp ace king, you know, because ace king is, is a drawing hand. It's not a limping <laughs> hand. It's just not a, 
it's not a made hand, you know, they're going <laughs> to limp ace king and you get to the river, you go, oh my God, he had ace king. I, I was sitting there with ace queen thinking I'm golden. Um, that happens. But for the most part, you're going to find those middling type cards. Um, and if you get one of those middling type flops, you got to be very careful. And Chris is talking about sort of uh, stymieing our opponents. You know, they want to see a flop for cheap. And so our job is to kind of stop them from doing that and then changing the dynamic of the table so that they're going to be playing our kind of poker. Um, and Rob, I think, is coming at it from more uh, sort of like adapting himself to that dynamic at the table. And instead of trying to force more heads up pots with the initiative, he's really, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but you're talking more about sort of just putting yourself in a position to outplay those players. Um, even though you're going to be playing more, more multi-way hands, you're not going to have the initiative. You're just going to kind of play good, solid poker. And, and, uh, and that's the choice that you've made. Is that fair? Yeah. And at the same time, you're, you're practicing pot control, right? Cause you're yep. not trying to put so much money in there to get people to fold. You're just putting the normal amount that you would put in there anyway, and then just playing post-flop. Mike, I, that is the way that I've been approaching it and the way I've been playing it. But I've been finding that um, again, with five people in the hand, I'm getting out flopped four out of five times and you're exactly right, Rob. I do hear from them, and I know to fold. Um, but I just feel like I'm bleeding off these open raises so much um, that that my stack's going down more quickly than. And of course, you know, you just get on a roll where you don't hit a flop for an hour and a half, and of course, that happens to all of us. Or I could hit three flops in a row. Um, but I, I just find it, the example that I put in there is um, I opened with Ace Jack and I got, I don't know, five callers. Um, and it's clear to me, I think, that I didn't I didn't open big enough. Um, but then I, I put in a pretty good, uh, and there's a jack on the, on the flop. I put in a, a pretty good size raise and I got called. Um, you raise uh, or you just see bet? I, I see that. You're right. Okay. I, I see that. And I got called. Um, and the flop came off a rag. And suddenly this woman led into me for $35. So it's exactly what you say. I know I'm going to hear from them. But I fold my cards and she turns over two six offsuit. And she had two pair. She had hit a six on the flop and the two on the on the turn. Um, and so at that point, you know, I had lost, I had put in $35 or something to get to that point. And I don't know, maybe that is the way to play it. And I just got unlucky on that one hand because most of the time she's not going to hit a two. Um, but then she's not going to call my $25 bet and I'll have made, you know, $8 on the hand because I'll have, well, no, that's not true. I'll have made 40 or $50 because so many people call my open raise. So um, it just gets frustrating I, to see people turn it over these cards. <laughs> I think there's a, a few things. So I, I agree with both Rob and Chris who look at it completely differently. Um, <laughs> first thing to remember is limpers beget limpers and callers beget callers. Mm -hmm. So once you start that chain, that 
it's it's easy to keep on going because everyone's like, well, I'm priced in. Um, so I definitely agree with Chris's point on dividing your range and taking the portion of your range that plays well against multi in a multi-way pot and um, playing that portion as, as a limp and play it multi-way. The thing to be careful of is if you're playing your five, six suited and the flop comes, you know, uh, Jack six deuce, that's not a good flop for you. You've got to be able to get wit rid of those one pair hands. You're really looking to make a big hand in a multi-way pot. You have to have a stronger hand to go. The other thing to remember is why are you raising? Okay. So if you're raising because you have a better hand, one way to look at it is that you're increasing the pot and you are going to win that portion of the pot more often than others. However, you're also decreasing your pot to stack ratio and you are decreasing the edge that you have, the the amount of cash that you can utilize for your edge, the amount of multiplier your edge has for the remainder of the hand. So you really do want to limit the field. So if you are raising and you're never getting any folds, then only raise if you really want to play a big pot because you're not getting any other value from that raise. You're not thinning the field. So you need to raise bigger in the cases where you're going to raise. And this is where I disagree a little bit with um, Rob in that there are portions of my range that I will end up dropping out because there might be things like ace nine that is a very difficult hand to play multi-way and know that you've got because your ace may not be good and your ace may cost you a lot of money with the second best hand. So but ace nine be... is only in my button range. Okay. I I guess it's not in my button range. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's it's way earlier than my button range. So um I will tighten my range uh with what I am I won't limp everything that I would have raised with, or I w definitely won't raise everything I would have raised with. I tend to look at it. If it's just a single limper in front of me, I ignore the limp. I mean, I, I increase the size that I'm going to bet, but I don't let the limp does not influence the, the strength of my hand. Once you get two hands in there, two to three limpers, then it's more, I do start to tighten it. And once you get like four or five, I almost treat it instead of opening, I'm making a three bet and I use my three betting range. Um, so I, I think there are things you can do. The thing is, if you are playing with bigger pots, your variance is going to be higher. Mm -hmm. So it could be that you are making all of the right moves and you just happen to be hitting the bad side of variance. And it takes a long time for variance to eat even out. But I still, with the premium hands like an ace-king, you really want to play that against one, maybe two other players. You don't want to go five ways with that. Yeah, and I, that, so I really love what you just said there, John, because I, I think that is, for me, part of what we're doing, we are increasing our variance there's no doubt, right? Like if we're going to have a player who, if we make a big bet and we only do it with a really 
extreme good part of our range, right? Like we're doing maybe Jack's plus an ace king or something like that. But we're making it really big now because we have all these players who won't fold. Um, we are increasing our variance. If they're going to call us with do six uh, suited and uh, we have queens and they're going to hit do six on that, we are going to lose a probably our stack. I mean, there's, let's just get, I mean, that, you know, at this point we've put so much in, we, we're probably losing our stack here, but uh, if they're going to call us with do six suited and I can have that premium of a holding, um, I don't mind the SPR getting lower. I don't mind. In fact, like that, that post-flop edge that I might have, I'm fine at already being on the table. Because I've already I'm already expressing that against a player who is making a gigantic mistake by calling me. Um, and sometimes they're gonna outflop me and they're gonna win. But what I really truly want to avoid is having queens and having five players come along with me. Because now I'm just I mean, there's a uh, like what where do i go like i'm just i'm just in hang on mode no matter what the flop is if it's an overpair do people what are what there's there's no flop except maybe like a queen that i feel good about uh when i'm going five ways and even a queen could be dicey depending what what's on the board and part of the problem is we haven't uh forced our opponents to define their range at all if we limp along then all we're doing is we're playing against several players and the only action they've taken so far is to limp or to overlimp. So their, their range is extremely wide and that makes it harder for us to exclude hands from their range as we continue through the hand. Uh, so it, it makes it hard. It makes it harder for us to know, Oh, well, do they have that sneaky two pair there? Um, because nor- our brains aren't used to parsing uh, ranges that have every single combo in it. And um, so we're going to be wrong more post-flop. And uh, that's a problem. Yeah, Chris. One last thing I'll say about this too, is I think limpers tend to price in the raise that is conventional wisdom. Like they expect, the, I mean, they're happy to go to a flop with one big blind in the middle but they very much expect to just limp and call with their entire ring. And they think they're getting a cheaper, like the, so that, well, nobody's really going to raise me. I can still see a flop for like four or five big blinds. That's what I want with this hand with my 10, nine of diamonds or whatever. Um, so they, the, the, the only thing that's going to sort of like shake that up is changing our sizing. Um, so that's why I advocate it. Yep. I could, couldn't agree more. <clears throat> and, um, some of this is really also very stack dependent, uh, because obviously the deeper the stacks are, the larger you need to make your isolation raise in order to bring that fold equity, to bring that pain to them so that they're reaching that threshold where they can release the hand. Uh, John, did you have something there as well? I just really like the the point Chris made there about how hard it is to range all of these limpers. And again, in this example hand, I just had to make the assumption that this woman had come along with a pair of twos or a pair of sixes 
and and hit a set um, because I couldn't for the life of me imagine. And for the record, it was two six off, not two six. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't yeah. imagine that she had that. But I knew by her bet that she had something more than a pair of jacks. Um, so to to Rob's point, yes, those people will let you know that they have something. And unfortunately, you have to drop even. I mean, I had top pair with an ace kicker, but I knew I had to drop the hand. Um, but it just it, it's that much harder to range them. And that's also part of what my frustration is. Yes. And I think there's there's kind of two points on that. The first is that these players that limp and call raises a lot, um, they're they're typically going to be less experienced players. Um, so they're, you know, they're not playing necessarily the same kind of range you might put a, a more experienced player on anyway. And then the other thing is when you do get post-flop, and this is what Rob was saying earlier, you it's, it's harder to range opponents, but it's almost easier to read their action because they're less experienced players. And so you you can make assumptions about their how they're unbalanced and you can let that guide you. Just in the example that you're talking about there, John, um, when they come out with that big lead on the turn, you're not, it, it would be hard to, to literally go through and arrange them for all the hands they could have limped with and then just called the, the seabed on the flop and then done this with. But you're, you're, red uh, alarm is going off in the back of your head already. And you're thinking they're only ever doing this with a very strong hand. And you know, that what we have to do is kind of listen to that a lot more, I think in these spots and probably, you know, fold more than we would otherwise. Cause you kind of, I guess it really depends on the spot, I guess. What I'm trying to say is um, you have to listen to the action very carefully and and if there is something going off in the back of your head when you're playing against an inexperienced player you should usually be listening to that little thing going off in the in the back of your head because you're you're reading the flow of the game better than they are chris or john what one other thing i'll say about limpers too is what i like about this is that 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 lead on that turn is very different and so limpers what we also want to remember about them is we do not have to read as much into their passive calling actions as we do their aggressive actions. So like I sometimes when a player, like if I make a C bet and a player calls me uh, or I make a double barrel and a player has called me, I will give them a lot of credit for, you know, like, Oh man, they have something here, you know, like it could be pretty strong, but you know, there's, they're not just doing this with nothing. And I don't think that is always true of limpers. Limp, they'll have something, but their something will be a lot weaker when they're just calling you down than you're used to. So if you like make that second bet, and we should be betting a lot against these type of players because they will call wider. They'll because again, it's the mindset of I want to see, I want to get there, I want to hit. Oh, I've got hope, and so. They will call that like on the on a you know the this do six offsuit kind of hand. If there was like a king five four board, the, I think they would call down at least a double barrel. Most limpers would because like, what if I hit that three? What if I hit that three? And we can take a lot of advantage of that. 
It's only when they wake up and start taking aggressive actions where they check raise us or they lead out. That's when we have to be like, oh, God. Yeah. And and sort of like Chris was saying just before there, um, limpers, they like to call. They are passive players. And so even though we can't range them effectively, when they make aggressive actions, that should kind of indicate to us something because their natural play is to is to be passive. So aggression should read as strength. John? Yeah. I was just going to mention that uh, in general, the as the, as there are more people in the pot, people tend to be more honest. So you can take what they are doing for face value, particularly if they are making an aggressive action. That means they have something. Now, you still need to evaluate the caliber of their play because some people think third pair is the nuts. Um, but also along with what Chris was saying earlier, a call is also a face up, uh, saying, but it might just mean they want to see another card. (laughs) It doesn't necessarily denote strength. Yeah. I was going to add to that, that I've seen people will call all the way down to the river, hoping that they hit and, I end up checking the river and we see the cards and it's absolutely nothing. And you go, what were they calling with all the way to the river? Well, they were calling with what Chris said, hope, (laughs) hope that they were going to hit one of their cards, you know? And, and like John just said, a lot of times people will hit a pair and think they're golden, regardless of whether it's third pair or even fourth pair. They don't, you know, it's just, they think it's golden because they have they have caught some part of the board. So they overvalue what their hands are. So now you know if they're betting out into you, you know that they got two pair better. And and some players, they'll just decide that you're bluffing. And I, I've been in this position. <laughs> I've been in this position where uh, I raise over a limper, they call. I go bet, bet, bet on every street. And on the river, they're facing the bet. And this guy, like, this guy said to me, like, I just know you're, I know you don't have it. I call. But he called with seven high. Like, he he was right that I didn't have it, but I was bluffing with a better hand than he was. And it was like, you, you, you don't, you, we don't necessarily know the kind of mistakes some of these players might make or like what their actual reasons are for some of it. There's people that are just like, oh, you don't have it. So I'm not going to let you win this pot. Um, you know, those are good people to be playing against. Uh, a lot, a lot of the people that we're describing are good people to be playing against. So <laughs> we're doing something right there already, John. If, uh, if you're playing in games where lots of players are calling huge raises preflop with garbage hands, that will pay off in the long run. I promise. Two of the um, things is one, I have learned not to do much bluffing against some of these people simply because literally that they will call you down with a, a three. They have a three in their hand. There's a three on the board and they've got a pair and it's the nuts and they're just going to keep calling you. It doesn't matter you know, how much you bet. Um, but the other thing is when an ace hits on the flop, um, nobody in these games is capable of folding an ace preflop. An ace deuce, ace three, ace, it, it doesn't matter. If there's an ace on the board and I don't have one, chances are very high that they do. 
Um, and it, it, it's not automatic. I understand that, but I really have to get my radar up and, and be very aware. And, and it doesn't mean they're going to bet it either. Right. Um, they're just, they're just going to go along with the flow of the game. Um, we, somebody mentioned earlier, you know, um, I think John said something about if I, if I open and get three bet never happens or, um, <laughs> it, it, it will not happen with less than Queens. Right. Absolutely. Right. It will not happen with less than Queens. Hey, John, where are you playing these days? I'd like to come down and uh, hang out. I'd like to come yeah. play in this game. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. John Somsky, did you have something there? You know, I did, but what John Crowell <laughs> said was so illuminating that I just totally went away from my brain. Uh, Chris? Uh, I mean, I'll just say, like, if, if I'm in a game with a bunch of limpers and I know that I cannot be raised, I am in the right game yeah yeah but you do have to buckle up right chris like yes. that's part of it buckle up you're gonna be in these swings of variance where you're gonna have the times where you had the queens against the deuce six and you're gonna lose it all but that is i mean boy it's <laughs> a good boy. spot <laughs> it's also be... the time that you walk away from the game with four or five buy-ins in your yeah. pocket yeah right yep and and it's hard to do like I, you know, John, we've talked before about, you know, you drive all the way out there, you got a couple buy-ins in your pocket and you don't want to lose them in the first half hour just because you're taking a higher variance approach. But ultimately, I mean, in cash games in particular, you're, you want to, you want to, you want to take, you want to give yourself as big an edge as possible. And a great way to do that is by pre-flop having a much stronger hand than your opponent and, and playing a big pot. Um, and it is going to burn you sometime. And I know you know this already, John, but for some of our listeners, they're less familiar with it. Um, it is going to burn you on a few hands, but on many, many, many more hands, you're going to you're going to pick those pots up and, and win bigger pots. And it's going to be it's definitely going to be worth it in the long run. Um, so I want everyone to think about, well, we're we've we've talked about this a lot. I know we usually like to keep these strategy uh, forums editions a little shorter, but uh, just think about a couple of things and then we'll wrap it up here, gang. So I want you to think about the kinds of hands that you never isolate raise with, the kind of hands that you always isolate raise with, or the hands that you never fold, or the hands that you always fold, something like that, always or never, the hands that you always call. I'll go first just to get us going. So um, when I'm facing multiple limpers, I'm pretty much always calling with my low pocket pairs. For instance, let's say like twos through sixes. Um, I, I like set mining. They're easy to play. Uh, you do kind of get set over set every once in a while, but not that frequently. And um, I'm almost always uh, over limping with low pocket pairs. Um, suited aces, I'm just never folding. Sometimes I'm calling them and sometimes I'm ISO raising with them. They're nice to ISO raise with because they've got a, uh, an ace blocker and they've got a lot of playability post-flop, but they're also nice to play multi-way because you're going to be the one with the highest flush. And the deeper you are, the worse it is to get set over set or flush over flushed because you have a lot more chips in your stack that you're going to lose on those hands. So the deeper you are, having the nut flush becomes a lot more important. And that might even affect whether you three bet 
or sorry, raise over limpers or just over limp with some of the low suited connectors that we've been talking about as well. Because the deeper you go, the more multi-way you are. If you're saying I'm going to play a, a six-handed pot 300 big blinds deep, you know, five, six of hearts is a good hand. But if the action's getting aggressive out there when you make your flush, you're probably got the second best flush out there. So I even, I'll start raising with those suited connectors more to thin out the field so there's just fewer competing flushes available um, and calling more with some of the uh, suited aces for the same reason. But what, what about you guys? Are there hands that you always do something or you never do something? Like I, I tend to fold, I tend to just not play hands like A6 offsuit or those hands that they can really just make one pair with no kicker, um, 10 jack off. Like I, I I'm just going to find other ways to, uh, to play those. I don't know. Maybe 10 jack off isn't that isn't the end of the world, but um, what about you, Rob? I think one of the things that we have to really keep in mind is we're not, we don't have to be balanced in this game mm. because the people that we're playing against are not aware of what we're doing. Great point. Typically. Yep. So if you're if you decide to raise really big only with your premiums, you can do that. And they're not going to they're not going to notice the difference. And if you raise just slightly with your medium pairs and your medium suited connectors, they're not going to realize that that's different than, than the raise you had when you had aces or kings. So I think um we don't have to worry about being balanced so we can really uh take a more exploitative viewpoint of how we're going to play these hands pre-flop great point uh john somsky i was going to say uh i tend to play trouble hands a little less so the rag aces the aces that can't make a straight uh or are and are non-suited um hands like a, a ragged king or queen i didn't tend to want to play more suited hands less unsuited and more connected, you know, maybe some suited gappers, but probably not as many two gappers or three gappers because you really and want to have a more powerful hand in the end. And like we were saying earlier, it does kind of depend what kind of opponents you're playing against. Not many players like Chris was saying are going to limp and then re-raise you with a balanced range. Some will, but you just make a note on those players and then just, you know, work around them. But uh, I think this is a great point from Rob as well about just not having to worry about being balanced. And if these players were very, very thoughtful players and very attentive players, uh, they wouldn't be limping as much as they are. So that tells you a lot. That tells you a lot right there. I like what John said, but I think I already do that no matter what with my range. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Old man coffee down there in the, yeah, uh, the, pretty, much, the yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I know that's not true. <laughs> but that all gets right to the very heart of my question. The original question, the, the example was in my GTO range yeah. from the button, I'm opening ace five off. Um, but my original question was, do I need to start dropping ace five, ace six, ace seven off um, in the, and you, just a few pips uh, off of my opening range? And I, and I think clearly the answer to that is yes, in, in, in these particular cases. 
Yeah, I think so. And and uh, for our folks listening at home, um, just for terminology, we, we talk about open raising usually as everyone folds to us and we get to open the pot with a raise. In this case, when people have limped in front of us, we're not technically open uh, opening the pot anymore, but we're raising over limpers or over limping or we're ISO raising uh, to isolate uh, the limper or, or some of the limpers. Um, but it's basically... It's, it's the same situation where you're the first one making a raise and not just calling the big blind um, and limp and limping along there. Uh, what other is there, what, what what other thoughts should we have here, gentlemen, before we cruise on out of this episode? I thought I, I thought I had something I wanted to say too, John Somsky. You're not the only one who's uh, who's letting a few good ideas leak out the ear as we go. Well. This probably won't be the last time we talk about facing limpers. This is something that happens uh, quite a lot. So maybe we'll just save it for the next time we get to have a conversation similar to this. All right. Well, then, uh, of course, my great thanks to John Crowell, Chris Jones, John Somsky, and Rob Washam. Of course, uh, Mark Brashan at Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino, but mostly you, the listeners. <laughs> 